Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, informs and embraces the spouses beside the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever and whenever you want. And with products and services tailored for ADF members and Defence spouses, you'll wonder why you didn't join sooner. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. By now, most of us would have heard about the Optus data breach that compromised sensitive information of up to 10 million customers. Some of us may have even personally been impacted by the breach or know someone who was affected. The Optus data breach highlights and reminds us that we live in a world where scammers exist and where there is a real need for all of us to increase our vigilance. So how can we trust those who have access to our data and how can we ensure our data is protected? Welcome to the podcast, Head of Fraud at Defence Bank, Mike Smith and Michael O'Reilly, Chief Marketing and Product Officer. Thanks for having me. Hi, Beck. It's great to be here. There's been a lot of information circulating about the Optus data breach, but sometimes lots and varied information can be overwhelming and confusing. When there is a data breach, who would usually notify us and how do we know it's legit? Generally speaking, in all cases, or in most cases at least, of a data breach, they should be notified by the company where the data breach occurred. So in the case of Optus, most of us found out by an email or a number of emails that came directly from Optus. I do know some people who also didn't get any notification at all and they went, they contacted Optus to find out if, if their data had been breached or not. There were a couple of people I know who did find out that way and a couple of people who hadn't actually been breached at all. But I don't know that, that Optus necessarily told everybody, but they probably told everybody who they could find whose details they could get hold of. And Michael, not all data breaches are covered in the media. It's not you know, necessarily that 10 million people are impacted every time there's a data breach. If we are having someone contact us out of the blue to say that our data is being compromised, how can we make sure that it is coming from a credible source and that it's a legitimate data breach? Well, it all comes down to how you were contacted. So, you know, typically you wouldn't really get an individualised phone call to say there'd been a data breach. There'd probably be some formal communications via email or via a newspaper or the media would have picked up that this breach had been in place. So you, you should be looking for some information directly from the supplier or the organisation where you're holding that relationship. And, you know, you should be looking to verify that data by going to that organisation's website so that you can sort of read about it in more detail and then have that second step of verification. Additionally, I would say many of the government websites will have the latest breaches or the latest information around scams that are out there. So individual websites like Scamwatch, for example, would be able to give you further information on that breach. So Optus is offering the most affected current and former customers whose information was compromised the option to take up a 12-month subscription to a credit monitoring and identity protection service that can help reduce the risk of identity theft. Why, even if we weren't impacted by the Optus breach, should we all be checking our credit history? What has credit history got to do with identity theft and data breaches? Identity theft is used for in a number of different ways. The information that's um, gleaned by the cyber criminals is used in a number of different 
different ways and often it's used to do loan applications. So your credit history will show you if there's been loan applications made where you know you didn't make them. And it is often a very quick indicator as to whether your data has been compromised at all. Because there's, if there's a loan application made in your name, it, it is listed on your credit history virtually immediately. And Michael, I guess we just assume that people can't use our identity or our information to get a loan. That sounds like it's pretty complicated to be able to do that. But if that is happening, how, how often should we be checking our credit history to make sure that something like that isn't occurring or hasn't happened already? You should regularly check. So it's not a matter of checking it every month or, you know, every six months. It's really as you should regularly check your credit history and, and the scores will just give you that early warning sign that you're whether, you know, there's anything untoward on your credit file, whether, you know, whether uh, your identity has been stolen or somebody's used your information to set up a loan or a mobile phone account, et cetera. So you can check as regularly as you like. And there's lots of free services out there that will allow you to do that. And so can you talk us through which services there are that are available to do that? How do we check our credit history? It's very easy to do. You just head to platforms such as Equifax, Rate City, Credit Savvy or Finder. Just the, that's a selection of them, but there's many more. And they'll let you see your credit score and keep tabs on whether it's gone up or down. So that's the indication that something has occurred on your uh, credit report and that's what you'd be looking out for. And Mike... I guess we do hear a, a fair bit about identity theft and people stealing your identity. Why would someone want to steal our identity? What can they actually do with our information in regard to that? And how easy is it for them to go forward and, and, and make use of that information and steal our identity? It's fairly easy to use the information once they have it. The harder part is getting it. But once they have the information, the things you can do are apply for loans. If, if the fraudster has enough information, um, then certainly they would get hold of that money. They can buy goods in your name, therefore they never have to repay it and you haven't got the goods either, but you do have the debt. They can open bank accounts in, in your name um, and use those bank accounts to transfer money from one account to another using money laundering tactics and therefore makes the money easier for them to use. So there are a number of things that they could do once they have the information. And if someone is unfortunate enough to have that happen to them, what can happen in regard to if someone does take out a loan or does get credit in your name? Do you get reimbursed that money? Like, is that debt always going to be there for you to pay? How do you prove that that's not your debt or that's not your loan or or whatever it is that the, the fraudster has, has stolen or used and done with your identity? That's a very good question. Proving that, that it's not your debt is not necessarily as easy as it might sound. You would need to get copies of letters, etc., from whoever the, the lenders were to say that it wasn't you. And before you could do that, you'd need to be able to prove to authorities that it wasn't you who made the applications or that your driver's license and your details may have been stolen. And again, that's not the easiest thing to get the proof of because all of the data that's been used is yours and is real when, it, when it's applied to you. That's obviously then going to go on to your credit history, your credit score. And if it takes a fair while to get that, I guess, sorted out and to actually prove that it wasn't you, what kind of impact can that have on, you know, your everyday life and going forward and applying for loans and, and other things like that? The effect on your everyday life is if you ever did want to take out a loan or apply for a credit card or do something even less sinister as applying for a mobile phone account, your credit history is accessed by the people who you've applied to it for. And often because of the history that is that's been put there by the 
across the applying for loans in your name, you may be declined on that loan or on that, even that mobile phone account. What you can do once you have determined that loans may have been taken out in your name is you can put a stop on your credit file so that any future loan applications made by anybody other than you would be stopped immediately because there'd be no credit report given back to the legitimate lenders trying to, to access your credit history. And that would give you time to be able to sort out what was and wasn't yours and, and make applications to have those listing removed from your credit file. But that, again, may take some time for you to be able to do. So it can be quite stressful. It can be quite infringing on, on your day-to-day life if you're not able to go around your normal business because somebody else stole your identity and then used it for their own gain. As part of the response to identity theft, you can also access institutions like ID Care, which is a not-for-profit government organisation that provides free support to Australians who've been impacted by fraud or scams. In every case, if you've lost money to a scam or identity theft, you should contact your bank or financial institution as soon as possible and report the matter to to the police. Unfortunately, in, in many cases, if you've already sent the money, it, it may be too late to recover. But accessing inf- institutions like ID Care, they'll be able to help you work through a specific response plan to your situation and support you through the process. Additionally, if you've been a victim of identity theft, you may be eligible for a Commonwealth Victim Certificate, which can also assist you in overcoming some of those credit reporting marks that may be put against your name as a result of the fraudulent and identity theft. So, I mean, it's great to hear that there's obviously avenues for people to seek help if they have been impacted. And as if identity theft isn't enough already, there's other scams that are about, which I think all of us may have heard the term phishing scams, but what exactly is a phishing scam? And that's PH phishing scam. What Can you talk us through what exactly that is and how that impacts people? Nine out of 10 defence spouses wish they found out about defence banks sooner. Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning and currently has a rating of 4.8 out of 5 in both the app and Google Play Store. It does everything a big bank app does with cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, pin change functionality, savings roundups, spend tracker, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a defence bank branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. And with many of their branch staff a defence spouse or partner, you'll be talking to someone who just gets it. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. So phishing scams generally are scams where attempts are made by cyber criminals to trick you into handing over your bank account details, passwords, credit card details, and how to log into those online banking accounts, etc. that you might have. There are a number of them. They are forever circulating. Things such as what was called the Netflix scam, which was attempts by cyber criminals to contact you posing as being from Netflix, asking you to update your card details. The toll road scams, which are currently circulating, usually are mostly going around by text messages with a link in them. And if you click on that link, that it asks you to update your details by putting entering your name, your address, your card number, etc. And then there's the one which has gotten a lot of uh, airtime more recently has been the high mum scam, where people are receiving text messages or, or messages through platforms such as WhatsApp from what reports to be one of their children who probably doesn't live at home anymore, but would still be in, in close contact with their parents saying, this is my new phone number, I've lost my old phone or it's been damaged, uh, please delete my old number, this is mine from now on. And once you've done that, which usually only takes a few minutes, the parents then get another message saying, by the way, I need to 
pay X bill because I've not been able to access my bank account because I've lost my phone. Could you pay it for me? And here's the bank account details that they want to pay to. And as soon as you do that, the scammers have your money straight away. So there are a number of different ways of phishing to happen. They can also phone calls. I was talking to one of our customers only yesterday who was in the middle of a phone call at the time. And, and what he actually was, he thought he was talking to Microsoft and he had been for about two hours, but it turned out that he was talking to scammers. They had convinced him to give them his details, his bank account details, and they logged into his account and attempted to take some money out of it straight away. He called us because he thought his account was being scammed, but he wasn't really sure. So um, it can happen very easily. It can happen very quickly. These people, these criminals are very good at what they do and they do it for a living. So they are well scripted. They are well versed in what they need to say. And, and the best way is to get around objections when you're on the phone to them. So you need to be really well and truly aware of not giving out your details, bank account details, your name, your phone number, your address, etc., to anybody who might call you purporting to be from a company where you may have heard of, where you may or may not have services even, but don't give out any details at all because the best thing you can do is hang up, call them back if you want to check, but call them back from a phone number that you found by going to a website yourself, not that they've given you. And then you can check to see whether it was a scammer who was calling, telling to fish for your details, or whether it was legitimate. If it was legitimate, that company will know about it. Michael, no one wants their Netflix account compromised. And, you know, I myself even had the the tollway scam just the other day after I had been in an area where there were tolls. So it's like, how does it actually work with the phishing scams? Do they just randomly send out these messages and these emails or call these people from a list of numbers or is it more targeted? How does it actually work? Well, it's a numbers game, really. They will look at what's going on in society at the time, you know, what's popular, what's happening. So, for example, Netflix, many people have a Netflix subscription. So in many cases, they will just try their luck. And, you know, in two out of three cases, the person would have a Netflix subscription and think that it was relevant to them. So it's really just trying it on with a list that they've received, probably from the dark web or somewhere like that, and then they they attempt to um, see who they can catch, and that's why it's called phishing because you know you, you put your line in and you see you see what comes out. So um, effectively, that is is the the issue there, and it's it's kind of really tricky sometimes because you know you can fall for the bait unexpectedly because you just think, oh, that's right, that's I'm expecting a parcel to come from Australia Post or I've, I've gone on that toll road, so I should be paying a toll. And it's one of those things where if you let your guard down for a minute, it can be a bad result for you. So, you know, that extended vigilance is really, really important. So we always say there's like three warning, three things you can do when you get these texts or phone calls and things like that. So we sort of say pause, you know, think about where you're expecting the call, the email or the offer, you know, take a second, Think about it. Does this feel right? If if it doesn't, don't act. You know, a key giveaway is, you know, unusual looking email or poor grammar in the text. And the second one is process it. So have you been asked to respond to something urgently, such as a delivery notification or a request for bank details? Urgency is one of those real things. When you get pressure to act quickly, it puts pressure on the victims and then they limited time or warnings of a negative consequence. So you've got to really process that and think carefully whether this is a legitimate piece of correspondence. And if you're unsure, you should ask someone you can trust or go to the website where that's meant to be originating from. And the last one would be to proceed. You know, you always just navigate to the organisation's website yourself. 
you know, have a look at that website to see, okay, is that what they're talking about? Is this what I should be expecting? And three, those three little actions sometimes can get in the way and, and interrupt the flow of the scammer and, and really stop them uh, before any further harm is done. Mike, are there any additional steps, I guess, that bank members or uh, just people out there with their data can take to protect their personal information in regard to being really secure? Because obviously it sounds like we, we always need to be on guard with these mm. phone calls, text messages. We we have to be watching out for these things all the time. But there are there any steps in the background that we can take that can just, I guess, really lock down our data and our information? There are some. Um, secure your devices. Make sure you have passwords set on mobile phones tablets where it's offered by through their through their mobile phone then use the biometric measures that are available such as facial recognition fingerprint etc when you're opening your phone those things are nobody else has them except you so they're well worth setting up you can set up pin passwords and make sure you don't tell anybody else what that pin or password is obviously don't use things such as your phone number your date of birth that sort of thing is a as a pin, make one up, but one that only you would know about. If you're logging onto online banking, make sure that you're going to the correct site by actually typing in for argument sake with Defence Bank, defencebank.com.au. Don't search on the internet and then just click on the first link that comes up on that page. You don't necessarily know that, you know that that's the correct one. It may be, but it also may not be. Um, so log in directly. Change your passwords on your, on, on your bank accounts regularly and change them to something that you haven't used before. Changes something that you don't use across a number of different sites. Check your accounts for suspicious activity. So have an idea of how much money should be in your bank account and what sort of transactions you've made recently and see that there's check that there's no other transactions coming in that you're not aware of or that you don't think you made. Um, if there are, then contact your bank immediately. These days in, in most online banking facilities, you have the ability to be able to lock your account so that you and no one else either can access it while you're calling your bank to check the, the transaction that's come in and make sure that it was or it wasn't you and then the bank will talk you through whatever steps you may need to take if they weren't you and if you didn't authorise them. You can put limits on your accounts as to how much money can be taken out at any time or how much can be made in a transaction. So there's a number of different, different things you can do to help yourself, to protect yourself and to protect your accounts rather than just relying on not clicking on a, on a link because you really don't ever know if you take a phone call. Yes, as Mike, Michael was saying earlier, you can be caught off guard and, and it can happen to anybody. So the best thing to do is have the secondary levels of, of security around as well so that even if you are caught off guard, it's going to be more difficult for those cyber criminals to get into your accounts. And Michael, it almost sounds like a full-time job being across your data and making sure everything's locked down. But I mean, the situation where your data is accessed or breached or your identity is stolen is going to be a lot more work for you. That's correct. Um, you know, you really wanting to remain vigilant and sort of avoid that where at all possible. So, you know, one of the most important things you can do is to educate yourself on staying safe online. And that's by accessing them. There's a lot of really, really good government information and websites out there, such as the ScamWatch site, the Australian Security Centre, Money Smart, and the Office of Australian Information Commissioner. They all have their really good information and they're a great resource for people to read and understand. And quite often they'll outline the, the current scams that are in circulation because they're constantly, scammers are constantly evolving and changing their, their patterns and their tactics. So 
they'll quite often give you the latest. So being getting that level of education for forewarned you and so therefore you're forearmed about uh, what may be out there and it may just help you in, in the fight against these type of activities. And Mike, I guess we've spoken about the the different organisations you can access or support you can access if something has happened. But in regard to the first step, if we have realised that our data has been breached, that maybe someone's accessing our account or whatever is happening with our data or our identity, what can we do once it's happened? Is the first step that we should be, okay, calling the bank to shut down our accounts? Like what should we be doing to protect ourselves as soon as possible? Yes, contact your bank first. If somebody has accessed your your data and therefore accessed your accounts as well, it's not always possible necessarily to get your money back, but your bank can take whatever steps are available to them, and there are a number of them in attempts to get your money back. And the quicker you act, the more likely it is or the better chance you've got of retrieving your funds. Having said that, I've got to also say that these frauds work fairly quickly and, and if they've accessed your account and taken money out of it, it can quickly go to other accounts and from there to other accounts again within minutes these days and your money is not necessarily always guaranteed to come back to you. So first thing you should do is contact your bank, advise them you think you've been uh, scammed or fished. They'll take you through what steps you need to do and then they'll, and, and they should also be um, taking your account through what steps they need to do to be able to try and get your money back. You can also report it to the police, either state police or you can go online to the police department's cyber crime reporting site um, and then lodge a report there. That won't always necessarily get your money back for you either, but the more reports the police have, the, the better they're able to act in trying to stop this type of crime continuing. So you can also access institutions like ID Care, which is a not-for-profit uh, organisation, government organisation that will give you free support for people that have been impacted by frauds and scams and they'll help you with a specific uh, response plan to your situation and support you through the process. Also, if you suspect fraud, you can also request a ban on your credit report. So that means if someone tries to apply for something under your name, like a loan, the application will be blocked. So there's still a few things additionally you can do to keep yourself as protected as possible. What can be or has been learnt from the Optus data breach for consumers? Going forward, what should be front of mind for all of us? Well, I think that the, one of the most important things about the Optus breach is just that both companies and individuals need to remain vigilant and both have a part to play. So, you know, in the case of something like a bank or a financial institution, you know, there's sophisticated software systems that are designed to protect against fraud and other types of unwanted interference with your bank accounts. But you should never assume that technology will protect you and keep you safe at all times. Like scammers know the the easiest way into an account is through the person who holds it. So that puts the onus back on individuals to treat any offers with a healthy amount of scepticism. So you just need to be really, really vigilant and remain so and educate yourself around what's out there and how you can protect yourself. So the good news is there's many resources you can use and many steps you can take to protect yourself. So, Mike, we shouldn't be falling back on, you know, the fact that, oh, well, my bank should be protecting me and my account. We also have a part to play. Yeah, absolutely. We all have a part to play. It's not just not just the banks. The banks will do everything they can do and, and do do everything they can do. There are some pretty sophisticated monitoring platforms available to banks at the moment that get used 
all the time to monitor everybody's accounts. But you also need to be aware that your information could be breached at any time and you need to be vigilant on what's happening in your own accounts with your own money. Yes, the banks will work hard to to support you and to help you and to protect you as much as they can. But I think we all have pretty high level of responsibility to protect ourselves as well. It's not something that we need to just sort of wait and see until it happens to us. We need to be proactive in protecting ourselves and hopefully being engaged with organisations who also take data breaches and identity theft and all of the security around that seriously. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Mike and Michael from Defence Bank. Thanks for having us, Bank. Thank you very much. I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarylife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 